What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. Today's guest is an industry thought leader. She's a registered member of Arito, NCIDQ, and a highly skilled interior designer. She is the principal at Denison's of Design Incorporated. Ladies and gentlemen, Dion Fashina. Welcome, Dion. Thanks, Dan. It's really nice to be here. Thanks for having me. It's so, it's so good for you to be here. And also, you know, we were just joking about like, how did we wind up uh, at this place speaking together um, at this moment? And really, we were talking about Stacey Shoemaker and um, the initiatives that she's kind of set up and that you won this award. And I saw you at the at the HD Awards up on stage accepting this award. Uh, you walked by, I was talking, so I, I didn't actually get a chance to speak with you, but I made a note, like, I got to hear your story. And I'm just so <laughs> excited that you're here with me and all of us listeners today. Well, that's so great. Yeah, I wish I would have met you then, but I'm sure we'll meet in person at some point. So I'm glad you... We're excited to hear what I had to say. <laughs> well, I was really excited to be there. And it was also one of the first, you know, that we, we're all getting used to like reintegrating with everyone and just being inside and people talking and like showing your vaccine status and, and just actually breathing in other people's breath at close level. It was like, it was just so exciting and invigorating to be there that while I saw you walk past so much about this industry is about relationships and I just felt like every, all the time that I've always had with these friends and clients and family really had just been taken away from us. So I was just so caught up and just enraptured in just reconnecting with all of our other brothers and sisters. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was my first time out of the country since this all started and, you know, not too far over the border from Toronto to New York, but it was just so refreshing to be out again and felt so comfortable. I, I was a little worried at first, but just uh, the warm welcome from the community and meeting so many great new people, just so lovely. So I also have to think, it, okay, I'm sure you've gotten other awards and I know you've gotten other awards and, and accolades, but to be, okay, to be reintroduced into the, into the universe, the first trip into the United States since all of COVID happened. And then to get this really great award and stand up on the stage in front of hundreds of people. I can't imagine that happens very often. And then you throw in the other stuff. Like, how did you feel during all of that? It was really a whirlwind. Like I was writing a building code exam an hour before my flight hopped on in a cab, got to the airport. Like everything worked out so well for me because there was a dinner the night before and I got off the plane to the hotel within an hour. I was at that dinner. I couldn't believe how fast I got from New Jersey into Manhattan and then to the dinner. So, and, you know, from there, everything was just so fast paced. I was, I was trying to fit in, you know, meeting new people, doing design stuff, but then also doing personal stuff. I wanted to tour around, see the little island, go into Brooklyn and even like, thinking about what I was going to say on that stage, I was walking back to my hotel over the Brooklyn Bridge and sort of thinking about, well, what am I going to talk about? I had no time to like 
prepare. I just kind of fit it in where I could. And that's really <laughs> how our industry goes. Exactly. And then, so as you're walking over, I love that the story of you walking over the bridge, finalizing your thoughts, like how did you finally decide what to, what to settle on and, and, and how you set it? Well, I had actually brought my client with me. Um, uh, one that really, and as I mentioned in my speech, you know, I, I wasn't sure if I would continue on in design um, after being laid off multiple times in this industry, which happens a lot. Um, you know, not enough work, recessions, different things that happen through your career that lead to to being laid off. And um, this client and, and a friend came to me and said, hey, why don't you design our hotels for us? And so it really brought me back into into the industry and trying to do things in the way that I wanted to do them. Um, so it was important that I wanted to at least acknowledge acknowledge her and acknowledge that, but also this idea of, you know, being able to help help each other through things when you when you can't see past something that can be, you know, quite devastating to be laid off. Um, and having someone outside of you telling you, no, you're good at this, you should continue. Just like, that's a small level of encouragement that people need to be giving to people, especially at times like we're in right now. Um, a lot of people feeling dejected over or over the situation. And, um, you know, it's really helpful to have people in your corner. So maybe when you're you're seeing someone, you really like their work or you like what they're doing, just tell them because you never know what that's going to to do for them. Yeah. And then as you were saying that, because I didn't have, I was there watching your speech, uh, accepting the HDAC award, which is a new award and very exciting that you were the first recipient of it. As I, but as you were speaking, I, I, I got back to the feeling that I felt as I was listening and focused on what you were saying and had to do with resilience. Right. And if you think about resilience and the times that we're in and the times that we've been in and the times that will be in the future, where did you learn just that strength or where did you develop that strength of resilience? I think it just comes from what I've learned from family and, and living life, you know, picking yourself back up when you're, when you're knocked down. That's something that most people experience in their life in some capacity, whether it's in school or in sports or just in relationships of all kinds, there's always something in your life that kind of, takes you down a peg and you have to sort of rethink. Um, so I think going through those experiences and having a support system of friends and family throughout my life, uh, that's really where I've learned how to navigate and, and use resilience to, to bounce back and keep going. And if you could think of someone in your life that you find to be the most resilient person that you learned the most from, who would it be? I think it would have to be my parents, both my parents, my mom and my dad. Uh, they're business owners. My dad's a pharmacist and my mom does the bookkeeping for the business. And, you know, they've, especially in this time, uh, my dad's, uh, you know, a year away from turning 70 and still working. He's a workaholic. But, you know, just navigating this pandemic and being in, an, in a frontline sort of position, you know, that's like present day seeing him him uh you know and his resilience but there's been times where business has been slow or business has been great and so I kind of learned how to uh ride that wave because I don't think it's like a consistent thing he always says that you know 
you might be doing great one year and not so great the next year. So you need to be able to keep pushing on, pushing forward. Yeah. So true, but also so hard as you're going through it to get that strength. Like, where do you think he gets that strength from? Well, my dad, he grew up in Nigeria um, and he came over to Canada in the 70s. And that's where he met my mom. Um, and his dad was also in the pharmaceutical industry there. And, you know, he was a tough, tough cookie, my grandfather. And I think that's kind of where my dad learned to be resilient from from a very strict upbringing and, you know, always wanting to to do his best. And I think that's where he learned it for sure. Mm. And then, so I love this idea of resilience. And I've had some people, like when I've gotten knocked down, just say, look, it's all about resilience. You're going to pick yourself up. There's an end to this. There's a light at the end of the tunnel, right? And it's been this uh, kind of elusive and hard to quantify trait that's we all have, right? Because when you walk down the street, everyone's not lying down on the ground, right? Every, everyone gets picked up at, at, at some point or another, right? And I'm just thinking about um, how the strength of that resilience that we have within, within all of us, how, does, how, can that, how can you tie resilience into what your ideas of hospitality are? Well, I think, I mean, resilience is something that the industry itself is experiencing right now in tenfold, <laughs> um, you know, having to rejig things, rethink how you do things, changing mandates and changing variants and things to, to navigate. So I think resilience is just part of, of where we are going in the future, um, being more flexible and um, something we talk about a lot is empathy. And I know we've talked a little bit about this briefly and this idea that um, empathy needs to come into the design and the business world and into the hospitality world more than it had in the past. I mean, I think um, hospitality spaces have always been about, about empathy um, and creating a sort of sense of belonging um, within a space, but it's not only just empathy to the guests or users coming into a space. It's also about being empathetic to the, the business owners and the people who work there and the people who are designing the spaces and, you know, how can empathy um, be used as a tool and not in the sort of, you know, this buzzword way uh, we're seeing empathy being thrown around a lot. And before everyone starts rolling their eyes at, at, at my use of the word empathy, um, you know, I think it's really just about being real. Um, and, you know, and that might come down to you walk into a space and sometimes designers, you know, in the context of what I'm speaking about as a designer, you walk into a space and you really want to make it your own, but also make it something the client will really love. But sometimes you have to take your ego out about it and say, well, what does this space already have that maybe I wouldn't have necessarily put here, but ripping it out is not only not empathetic to the environment, it's not empathetic to the budget of the client. Um, and how can you actually just work with that to create a space that feels as if it belongs and create that sense of belonging within, within a hospitality environment? So I love that. And also in all, so many of these conversations that I have 
with designers and creative humans. I'm always just awestruck because it's a superpower that you guys have that I don't have. I have it in other ways, but where you can take this nebulous idea of empathy and actually turn it into a thing, a place that you can walk into and be completely immersed in, right? And I'm just awestruck by you and others that just can can do this. So if you think of em empathy and, and being real, right, and the projects that you've worked on, what do you think showcases that the best from your portfolio? Like a specific project? Yes. Well, I think it's a way that we're starting to work in general uh, through all, not just starting, it's just the way that I've always been working as a human because I am an empathetic person. I walk into a space, and I think it was my mom who said, you have this way of working towards the feel of the space. Um, so what's already there and how you can sort of enhance that and bring about an identity. Um, and so I think the first project where that was really recognized for denizens was probably Clay Restaurant at the Gardner Museum, which is um, Canada's National Museum of Ceramic Art. It's a building that was designed by very well-known local Toronto architects, uh, KPMB, and they had renovated it in 2006. And often, as is the case in most uh, museum spaces, the restaurants and cafes are just, unfortunately, an afterthought. The focus is on the building and the collection. And it's like, okay, we just need a cafe, put together some chairs and tables, and there you've got a cafe. But it lacked the identity that the rest of the space had. You know, there's this beautiful, uh, ceramic and porcelain art throughout this gallery and you walked up into this beautiful terrace room that looks out on the museum uh, district of Toronto and everything was very cold worn out dated and it wasn't functional um, the spaces are often multi-purpose in that they're used for uh, lunchtime cafe service and then they flip to events so all of that furniture that was there and was just being pushed aside into the hallways and then whoever was renting it for an evening or weekend event was bringing in rental furniture so there were so many lost opportunities one being there was no identity of the space of the gallery itself reflected in the design so that was number one but number two was why is all this furniture just being pushed into corridors and creating fire hazards and we're not being empathetic to the use of these individual pieces. So now those pieces that we brought in were able to be modular and flexible so the space could really easily reconfigure so that you no longer had to spend extra money for your event and rent furniture. You're taking trucks off the road. You're reducing the, the time between um, lunch and your event that you would have for setup. Everything's just there for you. And it's all still tied to this identity of the museum that you have chosen as your space for your event. So I think that was the first time that this idea of empathetic spaces really came to the forefront because it considered the profits for the museum stakeholders. It considered lowering the cost for the patrons. It considered creating a nice environment for the people who just wanted to come for lunch. And so, you know, I think it's, it's been successful in doing that and not only uh, pre-pandemic when it was designed, but 
during and post pandemic, it's now a very agile and modular space that can be, you know, it can adapt to all these changing mandates that we're having to deal with. So it's something that was designed in a time where we didn't need it has become useful for different reasons. So it's truly the first project that really exemplifies this idea of an empathetic space. For denizens. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> so it's interesting because I think of empathy and I, it, for a story for me, I go, I'm a member of the, the entrepreneurs organization. It's this global organization and we, we always have these learning events and there was this, uh, someone came in, it was, it wasn't Myers-Briggs, but it was one of those personality assessment types. And of the, you know, hundred entrepreneurs that were sitting in there, um, we all took this test and they, it, all the results came up on the, on the screen. And it was like, so many were, uh, driven or results oriented, like 98 of them were in that category. Right. And then I was the only one that was like super empathetic. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, what am I doing around all these incredible entrepreneurs? Like who are driven and results oriented. And here I am the empath amongst all of them. I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm alone. But I, <laughs> I seen to, <laughs> I seen to I feel you. <laughs> I feel you on that. But I think yeah, so now we need more of that. It needs to sort of cross pollinate. The two can work together. I totally agree. And, you know, hearing the story of the, of the clay restaurant that where you make them all come together kind of in symphony, um, how do you, how have you taken the lessons that you've learned and the, and maybe a, some of it was a surprise, right? But have you taken the lessons that you've learned there and almost turned it into a process or a, uh, a measurement by how you assess new projects coming over your desk? Absolutely. I mean, it's not, and it's not just related to spaces that are inherently already about modularity, like a multi-purpose cafe event space within a museum, right? I mean, we've certainly done more of those since, um, but even recently, you know, this can apply to, to a hotel space um, or other types of restaurants that aren't within a museum setting. It's just sitting down and, and thinking about how can you be empathetic to the needs of the owner who's putting out all this money to create an environment which ultimately is about profiting and bringing people in, but also needs to be authentic in the sense of you want people to come because you really want them there. Obviously <laughs> it's about making money, but if it's not, if it's just this sort of gimmicky or like Instagrammable or, or something like that, it's not going to have the longevity of something that's authentic and really is creating this sense of belonging within a space. Like, if you're just designing based on trend, then it's not going to last. But if you are going into space, and as my mom said, working to the feel of the environment, then it's going to last much longer. So I love that you just said sense of belonging because I was looking over my notes as you're talking that I'm taking and I, I had my pen on sense of belonging because I wanted to go there next because how do you find that empathy creates this sense of belonging and also how can the spaces that you're working with sustain it because i think that's really the key and in all these conversations i'm having with just amazing people it's really that feeling that feeling of a sense of belonging so how do you know when you've hit it just the right way 
Well, I think it's, it's something that isn't just like, here's the solution and that's it. I think it's a continuous testing and changing and modifying as, as you go. Nothing is ever completely done. Obviously, if you're designing a hotel, you put out a ton of money, you want to make sure you get it partially there, but you're always going to have to revise things based on the, how the environment, how the world's changing, how the needs of the consumer are changing. But if the bones are there, the authenticity, creating the, it's all about getting the, the right people, right? That's number one, making sure that you have a team that believes in that identity that you're creating for the space, because then through that, they can impact the users coming in and guests coming in to feel what you are trying to present to them. We just did a concept and I can't really talk about it too much, but we, we did the, the concept presentation to the client along with, um, it was for a restaurant, um, his main bar manager. And the bar manager just started, you know, from our ideas was like, oh yeah, that's great. And had all these other ideas. And he's like, we can really start to tell this story. He was already engaged, invested in this idea. So now once we leave, we've done our job with the design, we've sort of ingrained this narrative and this story into the people who work there and they're invested and interested in it and they love it. And they're able to communicate that to guests. People can feel that energy, right? They can feel when you're authentically trying to create a space that is welcoming to them as opposed yeah. to just trying to sell them on something. And I bet there's also this kind of, okay, you're, you're, you're plotting it out on drawings and renderings. You have the ideas, you're, you're, you're in alignment with the brand on everything, but there must be a similar sense of uneasiness that maybe you had as you're trying to figure out, what am I going to say in that awards assembly? But to, okay, everything looks great or at the, at the award show where there's this feeling of what am I going to do? How's it really going to be received? You, you do everything in plan and rendering and space. It's built out, but then you don't know until the guests actually come in or the humans come in and start feeling like they belong. I think that comes from this sort of idea of embodied knowledge. Like if you are just working from your desk and never going out and experiencing anything, then how can you know what to do um, in terms of creating spaces? That's one. And also doing your research. I think empathy is about listening and learning from the communities that you're working in. We've done some work in Mexico where we didn't just come in and say, this is the way we do it in Toronto. This is what we think you need we actually sat down with the people that uh you know own the space and started to work with people in the direct community and have them take their take on our design intent one example of that would be um we really wanted to have of course some beautiful textiles in the hotel um that related to the local um you know, in Mexico, they've got their beautiful textiles. So we actually worked with uh, a village of these women and families who were making textiles to support their families. And all we did was say, we really love for it to be this color, which you have in your, in your repertoire, but the pattern is really up to you. So what do you want to reflect for, from your community, as opposed to being so specific in the details that you are 
not listening to what their identity is and just saying, this is how I see you. We're saying, here's like the, the consistency that we want to create for this hotel so that it looks nice together and, and creates a welcoming space. But we want you to, to bring your personal um, identity to this piece that you are creating for the space. So if I'm hearing you correct, okay, there might be that uneasiness, but if you've really done your complete immersive process and you're hearing all the stakeholders, you can really minimize that sense of uneasiness because you're like, all right, well, I kind of feel like we, we got this, right? Yeah. I think if you're, if you're listening and you're not just having one idea and sort of a tunnel vision and a narrowed focus you're adapting to what you're hearing and you're modifying as you hear it, then you're going to get closer and closer to that perfect result, which there's never going to be a perfect result. Anyone who says they're going to give you a hundred percent perfect result, that just doesn't exist because it's always ever changing and evolving. Can you get really close to that? Sure. There's some beautiful spaces out there that are truly authentic, but there's always more that can be done and, and adapted. And I, I, you know, I can't sit here and say that all of our projects are 100% perfect because I don't think that's real. And I'm about re being real. <laughs> yeah. We work really hard to make them as good as possible. No, I, I, I can see that. And then if you think of, okay, so there's that idea of uneasiness, which slowly gets mitigated, but it's still never 100% perfect. Like what for you as, as you and your team take on a new project, what's the most exciting part for you? I think it's that eureka moment when like the pieces of the puzzle are starting to come together. Like that the identity for the space has been created and everyone, the client, the team, even down to the trades and, and the contractors and whoever's involved in the project is really on board with it. You know, you kind of are going in the right direction. I think for me, one of the projects that comes to mind with that would be another gallery in Canada, the McMichael Art Collection, where many people that worked on the project had grown up around the, the gallery, including me. So we had a history with it as young children. And so each maker that came to the table to make a piece of furniture, or a piece of, uh, you know, table decor, whatever they were making for the space all of them were just like, oh, I remember my memories of this space. And so, you know, they brought something more into it than just another project that they, they were working on. And I think that's always really nice to, to, to feel like people are invested. And with the McMichael Art Gallery, like if you think about, it, is there any kind of motif or vignette or thing within that project or a, a moment within that project, if I'm entering that space, um, where I, as not knowing how it came to be, I would walk in there and I'd be like, oh, I get it. I think you'd walk in and you'd feel that sense of belonging. Right because, away. Because mm. all of the pieces are made by Canadian makers. And the McMichael Canadian Art Collection is dedicated to solely Canadian art and Indigenous art. So... What we do as designers is often to, you know, pull from Europe uh, and Asia. And that's where a lot of 
products are coming in because it's where high design, the sort of Eurocentric approach that we've all come to get used to. And for this, we really wanted to focus on how can we celebrate Canadian pieces within a gallery that's dedicated to Canadian art so that this restaurant space becomes part of the collection in, in a sense. And so where you would normally on a space of that size, maybe work with two, three, four suppliers, every single item was made by a different maker. Some were small, some were larger manufacturers, but all of them were Canadian based. So you get this sense of like independently beautiful objects that are collectively meaningful because they center around the sort of Canadian identity of design. Um, so I think when you walk into the space, you get that feeling from the way that each of the pieces comes together to create this sort of kit of parts. Oh, great. I can't wait to, I can't wait for others to see that. And we'll, we'll include links to that in the show notes as well. Um, yeah, that's pretty great. Um, <laughs> so as you, as you think about, um, you know, your resiliency and the, and the spaces that you've created and the projects that you're doing and like there's so much exciting things that are happening right now, um, despite all the stuff that's happening. But with respect to all the everything going on, as you see the world, what's keeping you up at night? Oof, what's keeping me up at night? Well, I have a two-month-old uh, niece, not not my own, but a niece, and I, I do worry about being able to, you know, comfortably go and see her right now um, with. <laughs> pandemic so that's definitely keeping me up at night is how are we getting from where we are now <laughs> to a place where we were back in September in New York um, and you know out again because that's something that I'm really cherishing and looking forward to um, but in terms of the resilience aspect I feel like we've been through this so we've already got the tools in place to navigate it as much as it's wearing on everybody. Just knowing that we've already been through this is making it a little bit easier for me, I would say. It's just like, I know that there's going to be, you know, a time where we can get out again and, and see each other. Okay. So now thinking about that time at some point, hopefully very, very soon, um, what's exciting you the most about the future? just all the opportunity. I think, you know, being able to get on that stage and I'm so grateful to HD and HDAC and everyone that I was able to meet in New York um, for all the opportunity that uh, like, I see the potential of what's coming for me. And um, I'm just so hopeful that there's a lot of amazing, amazing clients, projects, amazing travel personal travel. I've already got a few scheduled, which uh, I'm really looking forward to. So I think people need to be not focusing too much on what's happening right now, other than keeping themselves safe, but also just planning for those future times so that you're, you have something to look forward to and get excited about because I'm, I'm very excited about my upcoming travels. Yeah. And as you were speaking about that this idea of community came up in my head, right? a feeling of community. And I think at, at the point where you said HDAC, it made me think of before HDAC, before I even knew it existed, I was at a dinner post pandemic 
but very close post pandemic. And I'd met Aaron Anderson before, who's one of the board members. And but we were actually sitting at a dinner. It was our first dinner post pandemic in May or something in Atlanta. And it was just so refreshing. I'd met him before, but I'd never like sat down and just really talked to him. And now I just feel like the conversations in this re I don't know, new breath of relationship and kind of starting over. I feel like for me, this whole, there's this whole idea of like a new community. Okay. I've, I have a very robust network of friends and family and, and colleagues, but really it's like, I was able to connect with people in such a different way through the pandemic. And I'm excited by this whole new community that's come out of it. And you must be just, you're, you know, blown away by everything that for just from that award show and things leading up to it to onward, it's like, how are you creating a new community around you? Well, I think, I mean, locally in Toronto, I grew up about an hour north of the city and I certainly have my community within, you know, friends, family and the design community locally in Toronto, people that I trust and feel at home with, but I've never gone somewhere and just instantly felt, and I'm going to use it like I'm using a buzzword again, but the sense of belonging that I felt meeting um, Aaron, Bashar, Damon, Nina, it was just instantaneous. Like, you know, I'd spoken to Aaron briefly before coming and we just, you know, we continue to have great chats. These just felt, it just felt like I really belonged and coming into it um, and with the speech that I made about having times where I didn't feel like I belonged and then to come somewhere such as New York, where someone from Toronto might feel like, oh, I'm going to get a cold welcome. You know, New York's a tough city. I've never felt like welcomed in with open arms in the way that I felt when I was there. And yeah, I absolutely feel that there's something brewing with this community and there's just more people that connect can connect out there. You know, I, I think we had talked about it and Damon and I had talked about this idea of like, you know, there's not very many known uh, black owned businesses in terms of interior design and architecture. Uh, there's certainly plenty of black um, interior designers and architects working in, in larger firms and, but, you know, to find a firm that is owned by one. And I think you had mentioned uh, a colleague that said, that asked you this question and you, your first instant response was Lenny Kravitz and uh, Venus Williams, Venus Williams, which who are, who are great and they do great. great. Work. So, so like, <laughs> this is a problem. They do great work and I don't want to knock them. I mean, I love what, what Lenny did down in the South and, um, Venus has really come up in the hospitality design uh, world with her team, but they do have this celebrity attached to them that is making them known. There are, there are people out there that, you know, like me, there's plenty of other designers out there that we just need to find. Kia Witherspoon, like there's so many people that are out here doing this and they maybe are just lesser known, but that doesn't mean they aren't you know, haven't been doing this for a long time, maybe working in the large firms like like some of the other people. I've, you know, worked for large architecture firms, small interior design firms. I've been doing this for, you know, over 15 years. 
And oh my God, I thought you were going to say 50 for a second. I was like, wow, you look great. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I know I look uh, a lot younger than, than, I, <laughs> than I actually am, but not, not quite that. Yeah, it's like, don't say 50. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, 15. That's more. Okay, gotcha. 15, one five. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there, there are people out there with experience and who are eager to, to, to work and connect. And even for myself, because I grew up in a very small town where there weren't a lot of people that looked like me. I even didn't know a lot of the people locally in Toronto. And I've since um, uh, gotten involved with a, with a group called Beta, Black Architects and Interior Designers Association of Canada. And that's led by um, Camille Mitchell, who's at Gensler, and Frida uh, Abu Bakari, that's at uh, David Ajay. And there's a whole slew of people doing really great work locally in, in Toronto and Canada. Um, and so just being able to connect with, with new people locally that I didn't even know. So there's this huge change that's happened over the last two years where, um, you know, I'm, I'm able to even meet people I didn't know about. So. Yeah. And I think that's something that gets lost on us all the time is we all have the ability to create community, right? And it could be a virtual one. It could be a conversation. It could be industry. It could be family. It could just be interest. And I think that um, oftentimes people wait to become a part of a community that that's out there. But I think we all need to know that we all have the power to create community. I don't think I could have said it better. We do. We do all have the power to, to create community. And I think that's so needed right now more than ever because of all this division and everything else. And, you know, I don't know. That's I'm most excited by these new communities that I've started just for my myself personally. And you know, I'm, and I'm seeing so many other new communities start up. And it's, to me, that excites me so much. And it also, the more communities that I feel like we start, um, or become a part of, uh, the less I feel we might have to re rely on our own resilience, right. Our, coming up because the more that we're connected with others, um, we kind of have this shared resilience of, Hey, we're going to get through this. Hey, we can share. We, I've had this experience. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. Um, and to me, it's a really exciting time And this whole zoom virtual, whatever this thing is, it it's making it happen that much faster and that with that much more frequency. And I do miss the more, more all of the impersonal stuff. Um, but also just going back to the HDAC and the HD awards, and just that missed connection, to me, that was the first time I got to hug so many people at once. And it was, you know, it was a little squeamish at first, but then <laughs> I was just like holding on and hugging someone just for a little bit longer than might be comfortable. I'm like, I hope this isn't uncomfortable. It feels so good to be holding you right now, you know? <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. It, yeah. You know, when I first stepped off the plane, got in the cab, <laughs> went to that first dinner, I was kind of like, oh, there's a lot of people. We had to show our vaccinations. And then as, you know, the evening went on, the days went on, it just was like hugs and 
yeah, just meeting so many great new people. It was and there might have been some lovely. tequila or vodka <laughs> or gin that kind of helped lubricate everything. So that was really good. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, the bar closed a bit early before my speech. So I didn't have very much alcohol before getting up there, which always helps sort of ease the nerves. But yeah, yeah. I, I don't mind. I'm a I'm a chatter. So I just got up there and spoke from my heart. And that's how I do it. I don't try to to I don't write things down and and do long-winded sort of speeches. I just kind of say what's on the top of my mind. I love it. And then, okay, so now I want to go back to that idea of resilience and empathy and think about, you know, your dad, who's the pharmacist, right? So when you're a, when you're a little girl and you're experiencing your dad experience resilience, right? When you're, you're younger, you're, you're seeing this happen, but you have the opportunity to go back to that younger self. What advice do you give yourself? Oh, well, I mean, so watching my dad, I think it's easier to easy to look back and reflect and see now, you know, how resilient he was and maybe how I was still learning it because there were definitely times <laughs> that were tough growing up, um, especially growing up in a community where I didn't look like everyone there. I certainly had lots of wonderful friends and family around me, but I certainly struggled with this otherness throughout my life. So meeting people like HDAC and feeling that sense of belonging was really, you know, something bigger than just like, oh, there are people that look like me in the design community. It's, it's more than that. It's like more of a life thing. But yeah, I think now I can sort of reflect back and, and, and think about how my father has been resilient through, through his career and my mother as well. And I think I would just say to myself, it's going to be okay. Because <laughs> yeah. I had so many dreams and ideas and I always, you know, loved art and architecture from a very young age. I was that kid who was like, you know, my friends would say, come to this party. And I'm like, ah, maybe a bit later, I'm just building a piece of furniture for myself. So I was always had that in me. Um, but yeah, there were times where I did doubt myself throughout my life. And so I think I still have those doubts creeping in over time, but they just get smaller and smaller because of the, the resilience, because of going through tough times, you sort of build up this wear layer that's tough and like Teflon and you could kind of take on the world. And as you experience these hardships, it just gets stronger and stronger. Yeah. It's all going to be okay. Because if you walk down Avenue road, like not everyone is lying down on the sidewalk, right? No. Everyone's gotten up. Everybody's gotten up. So it always will be okay. Yeah. Um, where can people get in touch with you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Dion Fashina. Uh, I'm sure the spelling will be in the show notes. Oh yeah, we'll get and probably the heading. <laughs> uh, our website is uh, denizens.ca, D-E-N-I-Z-E or Z-E if you're in the states, N-S.ca. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, at Instagram at Denizens of Design. Those are kind of the the best ways to to get in touch. I do check those things. So I'll respond to messages, email, DM, whatever you like. Awesome. Well, hey, I just want to say thank you so much for being a part of my community and letting me into your community. 
and thank you. Thank you so much. It's honestly been such a pleasure. Oh, um, now I'm blushing. Um, <laughs> and I also want to, I, I don't want to forget our listeners who just keep growing and growing. And um, if this has changed how you perceive or interpret or understand hospitality, um, please share it to your friends. Get the word out there. These conversations are just so wonderful for me. And just this learning journey that I'm on, it's really quenching my third uh, curiosity. So thank you, everyone. Thank you. And we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.